What's happening, guys? My name is Zach Kasturos. You are never going to guess or believe what the heck just happened to me. So I just spent about 40 minutes recording this episode. I thought it was awesome, but I forgot to hit the record button. <laughs> that would happen. I mean, if you've ever tried to do this, you would know how demoralizing that is. I mean, when you really spend 40 minutes just talking, speaking from your heart, pouring it out there, and you get done and you're jazzed to you know, export it, edit it, do all those things. And you realize, oh my gosh, I forgot to hit record. First episode. I mean, what a buffoon. Anyway, so that's, that's how I'm coming at this one is coming out of completely just muffing it. And uh, it's not very awesome. But anyway, my name is Zach Kasturos and I do not have a name for this show because I got to be honest, I've tried to do this so many times. I've had different YouTube channels, different podcasts, all that stuff, different names. And frankly, I just, it's, it's a time suck. It's a, a brain suck. And so I'm just going to call it the Zach Kasturos show. My name is Zach Kasturos. This is my show. It's going to be on YouTube, maybe some other video channels as things continue to change in the media landscape world. It's going to be on podcast platform. So if, if you're watching or, you know, if you like Apple podcasts, it'll be there. Google podcasts, Stitcher, whatever it might be, we'll be on there. And I'm just going to talk about a whole bunch of different things. And, and here's the deal. I, when I've done this in the past, it's been, I've been trying to take people's advice who teach you about how to, you know, grow a podcast or a YouTube channel. And they tell you, you got to pick a niche and you got to pick a lane and you got to stick in it and don't go outside of it. At least not until you have some success and all those things, just like any business, good advice. But here's where I'm at. I don't care about any of that stuff. I, I look at the world today and I just think, man, there are bigger things that we need to talk about than what niche to pick or what lane to ride my bike in or whatever it might be. Because if you have not noticed, which obviously you have, the world has gone completely mad and we got to figure out how to fix it or at least how to slow down the train that's barreling downhill with no brakes um, because that's what's happening. And I have always been somebody who, for whatever reason, I just don't like to talk about one thing. I mean, I like to talk about all the things in life that matter. And here's the deal for me. This is how I look at it. And I'm not saying this is right. I'm not saying you have to agree with me. I, I'm just telling you how I think about it. This is how I think about life. I think about life in like five pillars, right? One of those pillars is your faith. Because even if you don't believe in God, you have faith in something. For some people, all their faith is in the government, and that doesn't usually work out very well. Um, for some people, their faith might be in their, their spouse or their children or their job or whatever. For me, my faith is in Jesus. I'm a Christian. My faith is what I have to build my life on. Okay, so that's the one pil first pillar. The second pillar, relationships. Man, life is about relationships. Human humanity is about relationships. Even the Christian faith is about relationships. How can you talk about life without focusing on your faith or your relationships? I mean, I can't do it. The third thing I would say is your health. The, what's the saying? You can't buy another day, right? You can have all the money in the world, all the success, all the accolades, all the recognition, all the whatever. And, and, and if you are staring death in the face because of a health issue, all that you want is your health. Health matters. Health is important. That's the third pillar. The fourth pillar, I would say, is work. 
what you do matters, man. We live in a world for some reason today that tries to say that work isn't good or work isn't fulfilling or, or work doesn't really matter. I mean, what a crock. Work is awesome. Work is what makes us, at least part of what makes us human. I mean, we, like if you think about God in the Bible, he said, I'm going to make man and woman in my image. And what is the thing or one of the things that makes us different than any other animal? Well, we have a, a brain that works in a way where we can create. We get to create, which is what God did when he created everything. That was God's work. He created. And then he says to us, I'm going to make you just like me in my image. And I want you to go out and I want you to build things and create things and make order and beauty. I want you to do what I did. I want you to work. And man, we have just watered down and peed all over work. And I think that's a shame. Because work is part of where we find our purpose. Not our identity, but our purpose. And work is good. God said after he got done working, it's good. No, it's very, very good. And so I think work is good too. And, and I think that it has to be a part of the conversation, a big part. And then the last pillar, the fifth pillar is, is money, right? People in today's world, man, do they have different views of money. Some people absolutely hate money. They think it's the most evil thing in the world. And then there's other people who just love money. They... they Money is their God. For all of us, if we're not careful, myself included, and at times I have found money to be my God. Not consciously, not like I'm going out there and trying to make money my God, but listen, if I'm not very careful, if you're not very careful, what you will find is that money or stuff or material things will become God. Those, those things don't do good either. They let us down. And so those are kind of the five things that I like to talk about. Because I think those are the five things that you can kind of incorporate anything in life into one of those five categories, and those are the things that matter. I, there's a guy, you may have heard of him, his name is Charlie Munger. And Charlie Munger is like Warren Buffett's right-hand man. Charlie Munger is one of the smartest guys in the world. He really is. If you have not looked into Charlie Munger or listened to him or read his books, you should because the guy's brilliant. And one of the things that I really that he says that just so resonates with me is he doesn't believe that people should be specialists. I mean, he certainly thinks that it's good if you can specialize in something, but what he advocates for is what he would call expert generalism. And I 100% agree. And, and what expert generalism in my mind means, I'm not going to tell you what Charlie says that it is, but I, I'm going to try and convey it to you the way that, that I think about it because it maybe it will be helpful. I think of this real simple, expert generalism, it's like this. If you're going to put a puzzle together and you have like 2,000 pieces and they're really small, you could start by trying to outlay the corner and then try and fill it in and whatever. But the secret sauce would be if you could see a picture of the completed puzzle on the box before you start, okay? To me, that's like the expert generalist. The person who is an expert at a general understanding of lots of different things and how they work together is like the person who can see the picture on the box before they start putting the pieces together, right? Another example would be in construction. A general contractor is an expert generalist, at least the good ones. And the good ones, you can tell, are much better than the bad ones, right? And they are awesome at taking all the trades and all the specialties and lining them up and putting them together and coordinating them and scheduling them and all those different things so that the product at the end is beautiful, unique, awesome, right? 
that's an expert generalist. The, the general contractor doesn't know every intricate detail, is not an expert in every trade, but the, the general contractor knows enough about every trade to be very, very dangerous and to know when things are wrong and awry and to know when this decision over in this trade might affect this decision in this trade. That's why we have general contractors. Now, I look at the world today in 2020 and I look at all the absolute insanity that's going on and that has been going on. And not just in 2020, but before 2020, look at the political landscape. Look at, look at so, just anything that affects our lives in terms of politics or culture. And it's basically crazy. And so much of it, in my opinion, is because we don't teach kids anymore how to be expert generalists. We teach them from a very young age that, no, you got to specialize in something pick a major, whatever it might be. And I know that when, when education, public education started, it, I think it was different. It was really, we were trying to give children a broad understanding of the world and how it works. That's why we teach them all these different subjects. But the problem that we have today is as kids are coming out of these institutions, it's obvious that that broad understanding of how the world works, at least the reality, the real world is not there. We don't teach them the basic skills that it's going to take to survive. Instead, like for instance, how credit card interest works or how a credit card works or how a tax return works or how money works or I don't know, how to bandage a wound or any of the things that you actually need, how to raise a kid. Like none of the things that we actually use on a daily basis, do we actually teach our kids the way that we should? And so they come out and, and instead when they come out, they might be an expert in engineering or they might be an expert in music or they might be an ex expert in, I don't know, counseling, but they're not an expert in how does, how do all the pieces fit together? And so here, I'll give you an example. I work in the commercial real estate world. That's my, my real job. So we deal with multifamily properties. We deal with retail properties, office properties, industrial properties, all, all those kinds of things. And if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of talk about affordable housing, how housing isn't affordable. And we have this affordable housing crisis and they get everybody worked up and afraid. And then we have these task force and these teams and these studies and these surveys and all these different things to try and figure out how do we build more affordable housing? And so you have one lane of the political sphere that is just dedicated to figuring out how to build more affordable housing. But then you have this other lane of the political sphere and they're really focused on climate change. They're really focused on trying to save the world from the, the man, from man dis destroying it, like legitimately destroying it. And so what you have is now I sit on these committees and I participate in them and I try and add some value where I think that I can, but you have, these people over here talking about affordable housing, we got to figure out how to lower the cost of housing. Well, the cost of housing is so high, regardless of what they will tell people because of regulation, primarily regulation, not just in terms of how much it costs to build something, but also in how much land there is available to actually build said thing. The, the more that we restrict how much land we can build on, the more expensive the land gets, right? Simple supply and demand, it's not rocket science. Well, that's happening, but then we have climate change and those folks are advocating for all sorts of code amendments or changes to the code of how we build things and what we build them or, or, or what we build and what's that doing. So in Washington state where I live, for example, in a couple of months, we're going to adopt a new energy code. And that new energy code says you can't use, for instance, a cadet heater. 
in an apartment building. Well, a cadet heater might cost us $300 to put in, but if we have to go to, let's say, a ductless mini-split system, uh, we might spend six or $8,000 instead of sp spending, I don't know, $1,200 or $1,500 on cadet heaters. So what do we do? Well, we just increase the cost of a housing unit, apartment housing unit, by let's say six to $8,000. Well, the problem that you have is you have two lanes. You have the affordable housing specialists, you have the energy efficiency specialists, and because they don't actually understand, they're not expert generalists, they don't understand how those interplay together. You have two competing things pushing like real hard for adoption at the same time. And they're both, like for sure the energy efficiency is gonna get adopted because people legitimately think that the world is gonna die in 10 years. And I'm not here to debate that at this moment, but they're, they're gonna adopt these energy codes and they already have like where I live. Those energy codes are, a fact, going to drive up the cost to produce housing. And then you're gonna have the people on the affordable housing side trying to regulate affordable housing. And the whole point in all of that is it does not work. It's not working. Look at every single city, every single state that continues to, to take this kind of, they try and fix the problem the same way all the time and it keeps getting worse. And it's because we need people who are like general contractors. We need more of them who can step back and say, whoa, if we do this over here and we knock that domino over, by the time it gets over there, it's gonna knock that, like for every action, there's a reaction. And we have to have more people who understand what those actions and reactions are if we're going to ever get to a different place than we are now. And I think that starts with the education system. I think that starts with how we educate our children. And I think that if we don't start educating our children that way, where they can understand complex issues, not just one issue, and how those complexities interact with each other, you know, we're going to get more of the same. And when you look at what's happening right now with the overreaching government. It's really unfortunate. And at some point, we've got to figure out how to, how to make change, right? And so I look at, here's the good news, okay? So I just shared all that, but the good news is this. So I, I do participate in the affordable housing meetings and the energy efficiency meetings, and, and, I, and I try and be a voice of, of reason. Here's the great thing. When you turn on the TV and you turn on the news, which I don't recommend, or you go on your phone or your computer and you hop onto social media, which I try not to do very often, the impression that I get is that basically everybody hates each other. Like these people over here hate each other and those people over there hate each other and I can't scroll for more than 30 seconds without seeing the reality of these people hating each other. And then it like, festers inside of me and it makes me feel frustrated and I'm sure you can relate. And the problem I think that we have in that way is we have allowed social media and the media to give us the impression that everybody, that the reality is that people just can't stand each other. But here's the good news. When I sit on these meetings and there's 20 or 30 or 40 of us all from different walks of life. We're all advocating for our own causes in, in one way, shape, or form, right? We have our own vested interests. And in this, just such an interesting thing is we have really pretty good conversations. We are respectful to each other. We listen to the other perspective. We think about it. We, we work together to try and innovate. And listen, I don't always get what I want, and they don't always get what they want, but 
we do make some progress. We at least have civil conversations, which you would not guess would be the case if you looked at reality that you think is real on social media or on TV. And so I think that the good news is that most people that I know that I interact with every day are pretty reasonable. Like it's just the people that at least that I can tell who are hiding behind a computer screen who probably aren't actually involved in those conversations screaming at each other. But most of us aren't like that. And the thing that I keep going back to is like, we have to take the country back. Reasonable people, not, and I'm not saying left or right or this or that. I'm just saying people who are more in the middle, who can have a realistic, logical, calm conversation. We have to take back the narrative because we have allowed the narrative to be hijacked by like these small, really vocal minorities. And it is mind boggling to me because I would estimate that let's say 70% of the people are more in the middle. How does 70% of the people have no voice? How do we have no voice? We've, we've just let it happen. And part of it is because, you know, we just don't want to get involved in all the fighting. Like we have jobs and we're raising kids and we're doing normal life. But, but now we're looking and we're like, how the hell did we get here? And that's how we got here because we didn't say anything. We didn't do anything. We didn't engage. And that's part of the reason I'm doing this channel, you know, I, or this podcast, however you're consuming it, right? On YouTube or, or audio or whatever. But, but it's like, you got to really think about these kinds of things because in 2020, if you don't talk about things that are the mainstream narrative, or if you are critical or thinking critically about some of the narrative that's coming at you in mainstream, I mean, there's a real potential cost, right? Like, and that cost has to be counted. You know, if I'm really honest with myself, the reason that I've started and stopped and pivoted and never fully continued to do these kinds of things, a lot of it's because, man, like, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary to know that you might say something that, puts not just you, but maybe your business in hot water or maybe your family or whatever. I mean, you might say something that your family doesn't like. I'll, I always try and say things respectfully. But the reality is, is if none of us say anything, none of us get anywhere. There's never any change. And only people that are saying things are dictating the policy. We see it at local city council meetings all the time, right? It's the, 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 the small, tiny group of screaming people who get the city council members to adopt policies that the rest of us really don't like. And so we have to find a way to stand up and, and to push back a little. And I think that is a very big challenge. Uh, when I think of in my life, especially over these last eight, nine, 10 months now, there have been lots of conversations that I've had with people who are close to me, family, friends. Maybe some of you are watching this right now. And one of the big things we've tried to figure out is like, how do we engage in all of this? How do we speak up? How do we make a stand? And, and how do we do it in a way that is productive and, and, and generates some level of progress? And I think for me, going back to kind of this idea of wanting to talk about things that matter, at least that matter to me, is and, and why I can't just talk about one lane is because, for instance, like my faith is the driving force in my life. And I'm so far from perfect right? But the more that I lean into my faith, the more that I read the word, the more that I meditate on what God has shown us through his word, the more I know that the byproduct of my life looks like Jesus. 
right? And so, so when I look at what's going on and how I can get involved and how I can engage, it's like if I, if I just listen to the guy or the gal on YouTube or on a podcast who's just kind of coming at it from their fleshly position, the propensity in me is to jump on board and say, oh, yeah, that's what I think I should do. But then I step back and I say, okay, but what would God want me to do? How does God want me and want you to respond? And then you hear pastors sometimes talk about, you know, that Christians didn't engage in politics in Rome and, you know, in the days after Jesus. And, and then you hear other pastors say, yeah, but they did in other times, right? Like Daniel, um, he engaged in politics and, and others, right? Mordecai and Esther and all these people. And so it's so hard. This happens all the time in Christianity where it's like, well, which fence do I get on? And so I don't necessarily have the answer. I don't have the answer at all. But let me share with you what I've been processing through. And I think what's really been speaking to me is, listen, there are so many things that are happening in the world today that I just do not agree with. I do not agree that we should be telling people because of the color of their skin and because of what their parents or great-grandparents or grandparents did that they are inherently bad people. I think that, I think that that is awful, frankly. I think that trying to say that people who we hire to keep us safe or respond to emergencies are inherently bad because of a few bad actors is bad. I think that trying to tell people who build housing for a living that because there's a few people who take advantage of other people that all the people who build housing are bad is not good. There's lots of things that I think that, that we should teach our kids. Some of the things that they want us to teach our kids in school, I don't think is good. And yet me or you just standing up and screaming from the rooftops, the same message that everyone else is standing and screaming from the rooftops, I don't think is the right answer. And so, well, what is the right answer? This is what's been speaking to me. So, and this is why I can't not talk about my faith, because going back to it, it has to be the foundation that we build our response and our life on. And so I, I was reading the other day. I'm going to read this on a screen I have on, over to my right. And it says Galatians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia. And he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I cannot help but think, because I want to. I mean, I'm the kind of person, I want to stand up, and I want to go for it, and I want to fight, and I want to lead, and I want to, you know, get after it. But I think, how many times in my life has doing that not worked out, or worse, made me look like everything except what I say I want to be, right? Think about culture today. It's like, you got to be an influencer. You got to build a following. You got to be a leader you got to be somebody. You got to do something. That's the that's the common message today. You got a lot of entertainers, a lot of influencers. You got all the glit, all the glitz and glamour and all that. And yet, when I look at my Bible and I compare, what does that message look like compared to the message I read in my Bible? Couldn't be further from what I'm called to, right? You got Jesus. He's God. And he left heaven and he came to earth as a man. And he didn't come as a man who was a king. He didn't come rich and famous, and he didn't come with servants and soldiers. He came basically as a poor slave. He basically came and was nobody, and the Bible says his appearance was nothing special. And he didn't chase after all those things. And 
And yet, because he came humbly and he stayed humble and he knew that his mission was for the souls of the people he loved, the Father, God the Father, exalted him. It says the Bible says his name is above any name, right? And so, my point in all that is that the world's wisdom is hey, be an influencer, be somebody, do something. And the wisdom of the word says, well, that's backwards. If you're nobody, I'll make you somebody. If you're nobody, I can use you. If you want to be somebody, I can't use you the way I can use you if you're nobody, right? You lose your life, you'll find it. You find your life, you'll lose it. And so I say that because I read this and I go, okay, I'm ready to stand. I'm ready to do what I'm doing right now. I'm ready to share some thoughts and, and try and start a dialogue and try and maybe, I don't know, encourage you or or at least make you think a little differently about something, about the things that matter maybe. But how do I do it? How do you do it? How do we do it in a way that honors what God wants out of us? And I keep going back to this. I think, listen, when I look at the governors and what they're doing, or I look at political policies, or I look at all these things, if I can stand up and I can speak the truth in a way that has a heart of love, that doesn't take away my joy. Like, listen, I know a lot of times, and you might relate to this, but a lot of times when I get into these conversations, man, it zaps my joy. I'm not joyful anymore. I'm pissed. Well, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. And if you think about what is the fruit of the Spirit, I think the way I interpret the fruit of the Spirit is like, hey, listen, this is the proof, right, that we, that we are who we say we are, that we actually believe what we say we believe that we want to and are working to have our lives look like Jesus, is if the fruit, the, the manifestation of our life is the fruit of the Spirit, then we're on the right track. And so if I want to stand up and I want to, you know, take that stand and I want to do what I think is right, can I do it where I do it with a heart of love? Can I do it where no matter what I say or how I have to react, I have joy? and peace. Not worry, not anxiety, not fear, not frustration, not anger, right? Maybe righteous anger is another thing, which we could talk about later, but but can I do it where I'm joyful and full of peace? Can I do it where I'm patient, where I'm not expecting the result tomorrow or right now, where I'm patient, patient with the other side, patient with the other person? Can I be kind when I convey that message? Man, I, I think so many times in my life and so much of what I'm seeing right now people fired up, people pissed, sure not being very kind. I know I haven't been very kind many times. Can I be good? Goodness. Am I doing it out of goodness? Faithfulness, man, that's a big one. Can I do it in a way where it doesn't look as though I have no faith or that my faith is in something other than God and his promise and his sovereignty? And lastly, can I do it with self-control? Can I do it where I'm controlled? Where I can control my message. I can control how I convey my message. I can control how I handle the situation. Because I know for me, listen, so many times my reaction, my response is everything contrary to all of those things. So many times I respond, and it's not love. It's anger. And it's not joy. It's frustration. And it's not peace. It's anxiousness. And it's not patience. <laughs> It's like, I'm getting after it right now. And it's not kind because it comes across kind of mean. 
which means it's probably not that good. And the message it conveys is that my faith isn't in the sovereignty of God and the fact that he's in control. But, but instead, the message I can convey is that because I have no control, I have to get control. And I think so often that's why our message is ineffective and the outcomes are unsuccessful. Because I think for, for us, what God is calling us to, what he's calling me to, is to do it in the exact opposite way. Do it with love. Do it full of joy and peace. Nobody can take that away. Jesus says, I will give you peace. Do we believe it? Do we walk in it? Are we patient when we do it? Are we kind? Are we good? Is our faith ultimately in something greater than ourselves? And are we doing it with self-control? That's what Jesus would do. He would do it with self-control. I think so much of the last 10 months for me, and maybe for you, maybe you can relate. As I take stock of my own life, I think of this. Jesus said, wise is the man who hears and does, because he is the man who builds his house on a rock. Now, it's easy to hear, man. I, I hear so I take in information. I'm always learning. I'm always this. Uh, it's hard to do. It's hard to take it from your head to your heart. And then it comes out of your hands and your feet. And I know that I have to get better. I think I am getting better. I think that, and that's why the word is so important. That's why coming back to these things and comparing everything that we hear, all the wisdom that we get with God's word is so important. Because if we want to look like Jesus, if we want to live like Jesus, we got to know what Jesus tells us. we got to know who Jesus was. we got to know what Jesus calls us to. Because everything the world tells us is the opposite of what God tells us to do and be. And it's so easy for me to get sucked into what the world is saying is the right thing, to say, to do, to be, how to look, how to act, all those different things. And so often I find that God, he's telling me to do the opposite. And I want to be that person who doesn't just hear it, but does it. Because I think if we want to change this culture, if we want to, if we want to have any chance to let God's light shine the way that it's supposed to, each and every one of us has to hear it and do it. And I know for me the way that that becomes more real, that that becomes doable, is not in my own flesh, not in my own strength. Is, is a fact, as a matter of fact, when I try and do it more and more on my own, I get worse and worse. The only time I find myself actually looking more like Jesus is when I say, I can't do it. I'm going to dive into your word. I'm going to see what you have for me. I'm, I'm going to listen to what you have to tell me. And, and by your grace, I'm going to believe, I'm going to have faith that you're going to work it out in me. I'll do my best, but I, I know that I'm not putting that on myself because I've failed over and over and over again trying to do it on my own. Last thing I'll say, the real reason that I feel called to do this, called to share, there's a, a verse in Mark chapter 4, verse, I think it's 24 and 25, and it basically says, to those who hear right, and share what they hear, more will be given. And I know that that the world that we are raising our kids in, so many of us my age and around my age, maybe younger, maybe a little older, all, a lot of what we think about, a lot of what we t spend our time thinking about is what kind of world are our kids going to inherit from us? How do we change the world that they're going to inherit? How do, we, how do we give them a world that's better than the world that we got, which was pretty dang good? Not perfect, but good. And I think for me, 
seeing how we make the same decisions over and over. I say this all the time. I keep, I, we just keep seeing people there like, okay, we made this policy and this decision and it didn't really get us the result we were after. So what we're going to do this next time, we're going to go double or nothing or double or nothing. And we just keep seeing people double down and double down and double down. And it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And, and what we know when we're looking at the box and what it's supposed to look like and the puzzle piece is not fitting is like, you got to get another piece. You got to try something different. You got to innovate. You got to work with people to find solutions. And, and I think, how can we do that? And I think part of it's a revelation. We need a revelation. We need God to show us how he wants to use us and what he wants to say through us. And part of doing that, part of hearing more, getting more, is sharing what we've heard. At least that's how I think about it. That's how I interpret that. And so, again, I, I don't have the answers. Part of this is just I want to just start a dialogue. I want, I want to start having these conversations with more people who are like-minded and and to try and do things and, and engage in our culture and in our politics and in our workplaces in a way that brings glory and honor to God's name, in a way that furthers his cause, in a way that exalts people and lifts them up, doesn't oppress them, doesn't take advantage of them. I, listen, there, there are problems on all sides of the aisle, right? God is both left and he's right. He's gracious and merciful on the left, if you will, and he's... He's judging and righteous on the right, if you will. But he's both. We need both, man. We need both. We need left and we need right. We just need it in balance. How do you get the balance? Why is it so out of balance today? I'll tell you right now. This is why. This is the flag in the ground. Because you can't have a balance between left and right if you don't have an up and a down. It's period. If there's no up and there's no down, if there's no end-all, be-all that we all answer to, if there's nobody who's in control, guess what? We're bad. We're bad on the far left and we're bad on the far right. Both of those places lead to bad, bad places, bad outcomes. And the thing that keeps those outcomes from being our outcomes is both sides being able to look up and say, oh, you're in control. You have a playbook. You have a rule book. You have a way we're supposed to do things in a way we're not supposed to do things. And these are just to try and, these sides are just to try and keep us in balance with what is up and is down. Because God, like I said, he's left, he's right, he's both. We need both in our society. The solution is not to get rid of one or get rid of the other. It's to get them in balance and to be in balance because we have a balance between up and down. And I hope that us as Christians who are trying to engage in work and culture and all of those things that are so important in life and parenting and marriage will maybe take some time and, and spend some more time reading the Word, trying to get a better revelation of how God wants to use us and, and what decisions He wants us to make as we try and navigate what is sure to be a very difficult future. Not impossible. Not, nothing is impossible with God, but very difficult. And I think that we're going to need each other. That's what Christianity is all about. Christianity and the Trinity, they're all about community. We've got to find ways to be in community, uh, speaking to myself here, um, to make time for community. Because community is, in so many ways, what gets us through all of this, and that's how God created us to be. So to wrap this thing up, I just want to say thanks. If you're still here 35 minutes later, I, I really appreciate you listening this long, and it means a lot to me. 
I don't actually know how long these are going to be each time. Uh, I don't anticipate they'll all be long, maybe some short, some long, some in between. But, but ultimately, I just enjoy doing it. I enjoy being part of the conversation. And I hope that something that I shared here today, it challenged you or it maybe encouraged you or maybe helped you think about something a little bit differently. And I'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments or any feedback, please go ahead and leave them in the comments section below. And I guess my only request, and maybe this is a really unrealistic request, but I'm hoping that the people that this kind of thing will gravitate, excuse me, the people that will gravitate towards this content will be those who can be reasonable, who can be respectful. And I will certainly do my best to, to do likewise. And hopefully we can treat each other like civil humans the, the same way that that I see people, most people treat each other in these conversations that I'm a part of in my community. So again, if you found something helpful or or maybe you wanna just keep the conversation going, please leave a comment. If you're watching this on YouTube, there's a comment section. Obviously there's a, a comment section in any podcasting platform that you're listening to this in, as well as social media. And I'll do the best I can with, uh, with the time I have available to read and respond in kind. And if you want to keep following along with this journey, because it's certainly going to be a journey, and I promise you that I'm going to stick with it, um, I'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast. Or if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'd love to have you subscribe to the channel. I know that in, in the podcast world, it's comments that really drive their algorithm. So again, any comments are appreciated. And in the YouTube world, it's that notification bell that they say really, basically, um, really matters the most, I guess, is the, the, really the only way to put it with regard to how much they show your content. So a lot of people would say, please slam that notification bell. We want to get this out to as many people as we can. I'm really tempted to say that, but the reality is, honestly, I don't think any of us need any more notifications on our phone or whatever else we're watching this on. So I would say only hit the notification bell if... If you really want to get that cortisol hit every time that it bings you or pings you or whatever it would be. So uh, all kidding aside, I'd love to have you just follow along and be a part of this conversation and um, hopefully spread the word, get the word out. I think we need more people to stand up and, and talk and and I think we need more voices at the table and I think we need more reasonable, logical voices at the table. And so I think if we can utilize something like this to show people that there really are reasonable people who can have a, a civil dialogue and really tackle some of the major issues. Honestly, I think it could be a really impactful thing. And so hopefully moving forward, I'll be able to get some guests on the show and we'll be able to tackle and talk about and sort of work through some of those real big ticket items, those major issues and, and some of the big challenges that we're going to face because I mean, I think the reality is, is, is the future is going to be tough. And I don't think it's going to be impossible. Obviously, nothing's impossible when God's on your side. If you haven't read the book of Esther lately, I highly recommend it. I think there's lots of parallels between where we as Christians find ourselves today and, and, and where the Jews found themselves in her day. And they could have been so hopeless, and I think many of them probably were, and yet God, in His great sovereignty, was doing something behind the scenes that they could not see. And with just one person, and really two, if you count Mordecai, I would say two, with two people, he saved an entire people group in that area. And, and not only did he save them, but 
he did really wonderful and mighty things and ultimately got the glory. And so I think for us, we look around, it looks dim, it, it looks bleak. We never know what God is orchestrating in the background. All we know is that when he calls our name and when it's our turn to step up, that we, by his grace, have the courage and the wisdom and the, the fortitude to do it and to do it in a way that honors him and to do it in a way that brings glory to his name. So anyway, I'd love to have you keep following along. Thanks for watching this. I will see you probably in the next week, definitely in the next week. And uh, until then, have a great week. Thanks.